This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Monday, and we're talking all the things with my brother Rio. Hi, Rio. Hello. Um, how are you doing? I was actually, I didn't know we started recording. I was replying back to an email. Oh my God. I'm I sorry. Was... I apologize. You have my full attention now. Oh, I don't know if I do. But okay. Although I haven't, I started writing the email. I haven't <laughs> sent it yet. So I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm probably going to try to Sneak in a couple of words here and there while you're talking. Well, it's the lunch hour, so you can't do that. It's where we usually record this on Sundays, but I had to move it to Monday because I was having a, an emotional breakdown on a Sunday night. The Sunday scaries were getting to me. Is that what it was? I thought you were like physically sick or like physically ill. No. Well, the thing with my anxiety is that it does eventually make me physically so, uh, sick. I uh, am a jaw clencher. And my jaw clenching turns into head hurting. And then oh. my head hurting turns into a migraine. And then I'm just like, I can't think. I can't do anything. So, um, but then I had my, I had the call in the morning. That was my, that was the trigger of my Sunday scaries. And it went fine. It was a nine to 10 call. Yeah. <laughs> it ended at 920. It was perfect. I was just thinking that, you know, this thing that you uh, talked about with the anxiety turning into gel clenching that turns into like physical whatever mm-hmm. symptoms that mm-hmm. should be in your Ashley Madison profile for when you <laughs> want to have an affair. Wait, can ladies go on Ashley Madison like to find? Of um, course. Mysteries? That's the whole po- that's the whole point of Ashley Madison. I mean, it's a lie because it's just like horny married dudes. Um, or like horny dudes just in reg- in, in general. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a couple of friends that have been on Ashley Madison, but they're not married. They're like single dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they're they like, oh, there's so many women on Ashley Madison, but they're all just like bots. Like they're not oh, actual yeah, yeah, women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although I think, I think one of them met like two women off of there. Um, and it was uh, exciting. So, But like can married women go on Ashley Madison? That's the point of Ashley Madison. Yes. They're I thought it was for, for married affair. men. No, I thought it was for married men to find women to sleep with. Let me tell you something about married <laughs> men that want to find women to sleep with. They don't need to go on <laughs> Ashley Madison. They have um, what's it called? The entire world available to them if that's what they're looking for. Yeah, but why would my jaw clenching migraine anxiety be my profile on <laughs> Ashley Madison? Yeah, just to be honest. Okay, yeah, that's true. This is what you're doing. Yep. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm just a walking migraine all the time. Um, How was your week last week? How was my week? (laughs) In general? What what kind of question is that? You're so shocked when I... (laughs) When you ask me how I'm feeling about things (laughs) in real life, Yeah. my week was fine. Um, I've been sick. Uh Uh, I've been under the weather this entire... This entire weekend, so that has yeah. been fun. Uh, yeah, this weekend was a little bit exhausting. There's lots of sports happening, 
It's not uh, happened, but overall, pretty good week. Pretty actually, pretty happy week overall. Yeah. How was your week? If that's what we're doing, <laughs> this is a new thing. Asking about each other's uh, well-being we for some goddamn asked, reason. Like, as a family, as a family, have we ever asked how the other person is doing? Like, I don't think I've ever asked our other brother how he's doing. I only ask how people are doing as a setup. For when I want them to do something for me. Like, hey, let's get ground rules on where you stand right now because I have a request. I'm calling <laughs> need it a you favor. To be okay. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I don't think that I don't I don't know how to respond to you asking me how I'm doing. Um, yeah, so you you realize how unfair your question was. <laughs> setting me up for failure. <laughs> okay. You eat any rotisserie chicken lately? <laughs> I have not, but I did see that story. Yeah. So in the great city of Philadelphia, a man, mm -hmm. a 31-year-old man, his yeah. name is Alexander, what is it? It's Alexander Tominsky, a 31-year-old man, um, decided that he is going to start eating a rotisserie, a whole rotisserie chicken a day. And yeah. it got to the point where on November 6th last week, on our mother's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ate his 40th consecutive. Uh, he had his 40th consecutive day of eating an entire rotisserie chicken. And by the way, he seemed fucking miserable doing it. But the whole city of Philadelphia, like all these people came out to watch this man sit at a table outside <laughs> and eat a rotisserie chicken. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about it because is because I feel like 15 years ago, this is something you would do. I would. 100%. So I have questions about this whole rotisserie chicken thing. Uh -huh. um, it, is this, is it the only meal that he was eating? Is it part of his other meals? Because, uh, you know, I uh, sure it sounds like, oh, I have to eat. But first of all, you don't have to do anything, Alex. Um, <laughs> we know why you're doing this, Alex. Um, but like, it's not a bad deal. Like, I used to work with somebody who used to eat a whole rotisserie chicken during lunch. Like, that was his lunch meal. Um, I personally love rotisserie chicken. Me too. Sidebar. I think uh, rotisserie chicken is probably one of my top five preparations of chicken. Oh, I yeah. I think the whites got it right. The whites got it right on the rotisserie chicken. No, but you can have some dry-ass rotisserie chicken. I know. I'm just saying, in general... Rotisserie chicken for me is one of my top five chickens. You I know, think. rotisserie chicken is, uh, I have, I just bought some yesterday at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. I just bought a rotisserie chicken because I intend on making your favorite chicken salad. I like how you move closer to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> is chicken your favorite protein? Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Like, if I'm going to a restaurant and I'm looking up a menu, you know this about me. I'm look, I'm going straight for the chicken. Oh, and it's usually, you know, free-range chicken, which means nothing to me. But I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> you would eat a whole rotisserie chicken from the grocery store. I would. Of course. Yeah. It's delicious. It's perfect. It's really cheap. Have you had Costco rotisserie chicken? Of course I have. It's of amazing. Course. I... I will get a rotisserie chicken from like Costco or like a fresh one. Like we had a, we usually get kosher, right? At our house. So, mm -hmm. or like a lot, whatever. So I've, um, there's a kosher store in my town that had like a full, you know, deli bar and like a full butcher or whatever. And their mm -hmm. rotisserie chicken, you could get like fresh. 
and I would bring that bad boy. It was like when I was like peak ketoing. Yeah. I would bring that bad boy home, pop it open, and just use my hands. And yeah, just, of course. Just how the Lord just, intended. How the Lord intended. Just me and that rotisserie chicken going to town. Um, and that's yeah, it's the best. It's so good. And you it's- know what I like to do sometimes is I this is psychotic. <clears throat> I like to take the skin off of the rotisserie chicken and just pop it in mm-hmm. my air fryer for like two minutes. Ooh, crispy skin. Make a little like, yeah, because like that's like chicharron or whatever yeah. is like pork skin, right? But I just like, I like to crackling. I think they call chicken skin crackling. Mm-hmm. I like to take that. And you know what's really good, Raheel? This what? is insane. If you crisp it up and then you just drizzle some like hot honey on it with some crushed Ooh. red pepper flakes. It's so good. The, anyway, I think what were we about? Uh, <laughs> I think the like the white meat part of mm. the rotisserie chicken mm. is probably my favorite just like meat part of a chicken because mm. like the like all the flavor that I need is right there. Yeah. And um because our chicken usually like desi yeah. chicken yeah it's uh spice to hell, right? Because that's just how we prepare yeah, food. Yeah, well, it's flavorful. Yes. It's flavorful, yeah. But like, if I'm just getting like, if I'm making like, like you said, you're making chicken salad or any sort of like chicken sandwich, yeah. Give me like the rotisserie chicken meat. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I'm so excited. I can't wait to go downstairs and pop it open <laughs> right after yeah. we're done with this. I just had breakfast too, so I don't know why, but I I can't wait to make a chicken salad out of that. I think we're both on board in that Alex can go fuck himself by pretending to be miserable. With the rotisserie chicken. It's a yeah. great food. Yeah. Um, but he did 40 and then people were like, are you going to continue? And he said that he has no plans of eating any chicken. Well, that's just messing up. Why would you mess something so glorious up for yourself? I don't understand it. Like, I understand hyperfixation on, like, certain mm-hmm. foods. Like, right now, like, for, like, a little while for breakfast, I think I told you what I was doing was, like, toasting up sourdough bread, putting cream cheese crushed red pepper flakes and honey on top of it sometimes yeah. a little bit of like zatar and it was just so good i was like i was obsessed with it i was sometimes eating that like I- i'll get really into certain foods and then i'll just eat that currently yeah. i switched over my breakfast routine <laughs> and you know what i just had for breakfast it's so good i like a hash brown like from the grocery store i air fry that make it nice and crispy I take some cherry tomatoes and just like saute them with like some seasoning and olive oil. Mm-hmm. Put that on top, a little bit of cheddar cheese, avocado, and a fried egg. That sounds um, like luxurious. It's so good, but it's what so. What are you, a Vanderbilt? <laughs> <laughs> What's the most luxurious part? It's a fucking hash brown. It's like the most processed kind of potato in the world. No, I understand that. But like the effort of putting that, like, you know, of putting that structure together. Yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Yeah, but it's so nice because it's like after the kids go to school and like it's usually on like a Monday or Friday when I'm working from home Mm -hmm. and it's the sun is like perfect on in my going into my kitchen. It's nice and quiet. All I hear is the sounds of like the different foods being put together. (laughs) It's like my own personal ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, I don't know if we want to go down a tangent, another food tangent, but it's on my mind because we were just talking about it in our cousin's group, Uh, but, um, steak is bullshit. uh, I hate steak. 
Steak is, and I'm sick and tired of brown people pretending like steak is the best way to like prepare beef. Steak I, is no. nonsense. No, okay. So number one, I I do agree that that steak is not the best way to prepare beef. There are much. It's like number nine of steak. Number nine on my it's, list. Yeah, it's like not because honestly, like I was just at a a dinner on Saturday night in the city at this really nice restaurant, like very very yeah. nice high end restaurant. We're talking about like forty dollar plates of dinner, right? Yeah. And we ordered uh, filet mignons, right? Filet mignon Ooh. over potatoes, over mashed potatoes with like a mushroom gravy, like looked really good. Okay. Across the board, we had to comp five plates of steak because it was all so random. It was so bad. Certain Some of the plates were served with cold mashed potatoes, cold mashed potatoes with cold, like coagulated gravy. It was so bad. Yeah. And it was annoying because it was like, we came all the way to the city. We all sat in so much fucking traffic to get there. You know, yeah. you're intending on having this like nice steak dinner and it was just a wash. And it, I think we're spoiled because like we all go to rails usually <laughs> and rails has like the best. It's honestly, guys, rails has the best steak. It's so good. But you have. But my point in saying this is that you're not always guaranteed a great steak. If you order a steak, you yeah. have to have like a steak place where you're going to get a really, really good steak. And. So I actually recently, I know you're a chicken guy. I've been usually recently ordering, like if they have like a homemade pasta, like a fresh pasta, or oh. if they have a good fish, I've been yeah. doing that. Because unless it's a place that I know and love that has great steak, I'm not going down the steak route anymore because it. I agree with you. It's not the best way to prepare beef. No. Beef has- I think, I think Asian cuisine has perfected uh, beef much better than whatever the fuck steak is. Like I, I'll take Bihari kebab, yeah, or like I don't know some sort of like um, uh, I don't know Chinese steak or Chinese beef, or even or like Thai- Latin. Like I think like yeah. like like I feel like the Latin preparation, the Hispanic preparation, the Latino preparation of meats is great because they like a low and slow. They like really, yeah. they let their meat like tenderize and stuff. Exactly. The flash, the flash cooking of steak. It's nonsense. It's the reason why it's the reason why barbecue is a great also, because like you take the time and effort to like really remove every ounce of soul from the animal. You know what I mean? So like you separate the animal from the from the from the from the food part of it. Well, I think that you're not separating the soul of the animal, but you're really allowing the fat in the meat mm-hmm. to like do its job. Where I don't feel like with steak, you're always getting that. With steak, you're always like, it's going to be served with some fat and you can gnaw on the fat if you want, I guess. And yeah. like, you know, you're kind of relying on like a sauce and stuff. Like we went to Paris uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. And this is before I like really got into fish or or like I just was flabbergasted in Paris because they don't ask you how you want your steak cooked. They're just like, mm-hmm. here's the steak. And so you don't have like that option of being like, I would like it cooked a certain way or with a certain sauce or whatever. And I was just like always disappointed. I was like, can I get a croissant? And they're like, we stopped making croissants in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were not serving you like morning croissant anyway but yeah i agree with you i think that there's better, better meat. i feel like this like like the high place that steak 
has in the world, you know, just as a food, is probably top three cruelest legacies of colonialism. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Did we talk about that here before? No, we talked about it in the pod. No, I, yeah, I don't know. You said that you didn't also didn't appreciate the fact that they brought silverware into our lives. Yeah, exactly. That's number one. I want to <laughs> eat rice with my hands, motherfuckers. I think colorism was number two on my list. So we'll move. I'm going to keep the fork for the knife. Number one, colorism. Number two. Number three is fucking forcing steak down my throat. And slavery? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's messed up. That's messed up. Why would you mess up? I was having such a good time. Why would you, why know, would you I'm do so that? I'm so sorry. Can we talk about the elections? Sure. Yeah. You're very sad because you love Mitch McConnell. I was... <laughs> I don't know how to answer this. It took my legs out from under me. No, last week I was... Uh, I, was uh, I thought that it was going to be doom and gloom. And I was mm-hmm. preparing myself for it. Mm-hmm. But I am so happy. Thrilled. Like the happiest I've ever been. I think it's like the second happiest election night of my life. I've never wow. been this happy. Did uh, Bobert get out or did she eke in? It's still it's still being counted. It's still it it <laughs> seems like she's gonna eke out. Um, oh, but I love what it says. I love. I mean, listen, that moron isn't you know really gonna be doing anything in Congress anyways. Uh, but you know, I, I I like the message that it sent. That's the reason why I'm so happy. Like elections really like aren't about laws anymore. Well, yeah, agreed. It's not really about. It's not. It's like a popularity contest at this point. But I do think what? that what I, I like that you're thinking about it glass half full because I'm thinking about it from the lens of um, it's terrifying that it's this close. <clears throat> well, the way I look at elections now, and this is like strictly uh, after 2016 thing. Is that it's not really about the laws. It's not really about the policies. It's for me, it's kind of like a a way that I kind of figure out um, like, you know, who I'm sharing this land with. You know what I mean? Just like a feeling type of thing. Right. So like that's the thing that was so jarring about 2016 where I was just like, yo, like I understand like, you know, you're a Republican and you are you have like these. Uh, you have your faith is important to you. You think that um, you think that liberals and progressives are too aggressive and all that other stuff. Right. I respect that part. But like yeah. fucking Donald Trump. Like, why would you like just, you know, just like take out your own knees like that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I thought in this election, I didn't think that we were as close as we are now. Like, I thought that this thing would happen maybe two years down the line, um, you know, like that this kind of response would happen to Trumpism two years down the line, because like people are seeing that he is full of shit. People are seeing that, you know, he is just self-centered. He's going to abandon them and, and all those other things. Right. I just figured that people would kind of catch on two years down the line. Um, but it's nice to see that we are like, it's, it's been sped up. Um, yeah. And uh, it also makes me feel really good about like Gen Z um because they showed up yeah and, uh, that surprised me you know one thing i realized yeah gen z mm-hmm. are great people yes. millennials like you and me are assholes mm, okay well i'm telling you are here's annoying okay here's the thing here's the thing yeah. um every generation has uh 
has assholes and um and i think that every generation should learn from the generation after it like if we as a people think that we know better than younger people and and there are some things that we just know more about because we've mm-hmm. been on earth a little bit longer than them not a lot much but or that we've just been able to have certain experiences but i just am really really big on like you know that younger people have a different perspective that i need to be aware of because they are the ones that are inheriting this earth after i am gone and so i have to mm-hmm. be mindful of what they need like that's yeah. how i feel about my kids too like one time aiden asked me like when you like very nervously he was like when you're a grown up can you like yell at your parents and i was like what do you mean and he goes like can you tell them can you like boss them around and tell them what to do and i was like yeah and he goes like i can do that to you when i'm older and i was like yeah and he goes why and i was like well you are probably going to be much smarter than me when you're older like yeah when you're in your 30s, you're going to be much smarter than I was in my 30s. And his like mind was blown. But I just am really big on like uh, the the kids these days are growing up in a world that is different than mine. And I have to be empathetic and understanding of the world that they're living in because the world that I grew up in no longer exists. It's not here anymore. So yeah, so I'm not talking about in terms of our sensibilities. Um, What I'm talking about is in terms of doing shit. Like if you look at if you look at who showed up to vote in this cycle, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of young people voting for the first time. And that is it's a huge thing um, when you consider, you know, what's going on in the country. Like Joe Biden isn't exactly a popular president. You know, his approval rating is under 50 percent. The economy is pretty bad right now right um plus like generally speaking you know when it's set up like this the incumbent party gets washed like that's the reason why people thought that there was going to be a red wave and all this other stuff right and it didn't happen partially like a big part of it is that gen z showed up gen z said no you know like reproductive rights are important to us so we're not going to allow this shit Right. And the other reason that it happened is because Republicans, those fucking morons, have been, you know, telling their base that elections aren't to be trusted. So why if if I'm like if I'm somebody who's been told that elections aren't to be trusted, why would I show up and vote? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. all of it worked out. It worked out really well, man. That's why I'm I'm happy. Even though like we're probably gonna lose a house, but like it's like the message of it is great. So Yeah. Yeah. Well. And, you know, I like Republicans. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm more empathetic towards Republicans than you are, obviously. Yes, because I just feel like they view me as a um, as a half person. (laughs) So why should I why should I try to talk to a person who doesn't value me as a person as a whole? I you know, I feel like maybe your opinion would be different if you had a uterus. What makes you say I don't? Um, I I hope my opinion wouldn't be different, but I I obviously understand that your experiences kind of, you know, your experiences kind of, uh, um, they allow you to have different levels of empathy, right? Like if you are a person that has been um, directly affected, like even like we're talking right now, right? We're talking as immigrants, right? Yeah. We're talking as immigrants and I'm talking about, well, you know, the laws really don't matter 
um, in these elections. Like something isn't going to happen. But the thing is, you know, that's because we as immigrants, like Pakistani immigrants that are like working professionals, blah, 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 brown people, our immigrant experience is so much different than other immigrants in this country. It's crazy, like how unfair it is for um, definitely like, you know, undocumented uh, immigrants and stuff like that. Right. So like everything isn't kind of created equal. Um, But like, um, you know, so I think I think my perspective would be different if I was actually worried about, um, you know, getting deported. Like, I that's not a real concern for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that's something that's going to happen to me in in my life. Right. Never, never say never. I, I, I really don't think that that's something that's going to so happen. That, that's going to happen. The, yeah. The way the way that I look at it, like the reason why I was so angry about Trump in 2016, um, I think for the next day, I was actually scared. I was like, fuck, I don't know this country. Yeah. Right. I don't know where this country is going. But, you know, ultimately what it is was that I was like embarrassed. You know, the thing that Republicans don't understand about immigrants is that we love this country, like the corny parts of this country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we love the patriotism. We love we love all the things that they love, but Mm -hmm. they just don't realize it. So, like, when I see somebody like Donald Trump in the Oval Office with fucking Kid Rock um, above his shoulder, I am fucking embarrassed. Yeah. Like, you should be embarrassed, too. That is not a good thing for the country. That's the and reason I'm why. And also, South Asian immigrants, we are very concerned about optics. We yeah, exactly. are the most concerned about optics. Like, we are always mm-hmm. worried about what people are going to say about us. So, Yep. Like, like you, I left your, this- you left your country, you left your people, your land to come yeah. over there to have that fuck as your president. Like that's <laughs> embarrassing. Wow. And then like exactly. you have your family friends that you grew up with in the Middle East that ended up moving to Canada, and you're like, your parents made some bad decisions to yeah, move exactly. to America. You're like, fuck you, dude, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting? I was talking to a friend of mine who's from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And she lives in middle Georgia, right? Which is like white and it's red and it is what it is, right? Yeah. And she grew up like very uh, Christian. I mean, she's like, you know, it's super embarrassing, but I went to like pro, pro-life rally. She's like, I would, I've, I've protested outside of Planned Parenthood's. Like it's with her church. Like she's like, it's just yeah. like a thing that you do. And she's now, you know, grown up and she's very progressive and she's very liberal and all those things. And she's been arguing with her family and her family friends about Warnock and Herschel Walker. Right. Yeah. And she's like, it's so frustrating because it's such a it's such a simple choice. But she's like, it's embarrassing to hear how little like the people that you love and care about like understand or or like yeah. how they will find excuses for people like this. But anyway, she was at a fundraiser last weekend and it was a fundraiser for this organization that actually works with impoverished uh communities in India. And so she's working with this friend who is really involved in that organization because her husband is from India um and that's how she got involved in this organization whatever. But she, it's like a Christian organization and what they do is they send kids to school in India and they they build hospitals in India and all this stuff, right? 
And she was like, it was so interesting to be there because there was all these like older, wealthy people that were donating all this money and all this stuff. And she was like, you just get this icky feeling of like, this is the white savior at work, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is them... Uh, you know, pouring money into free healthcare and free education in yeah. impoverished countries, but like are voting for somebody like Herschel Walker that are yeah. Trump supporters that are like big MAGA people. And she couldn't understand it. And I, I told her, I said, you know, the, the thing is that people think that, and, 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 and one of the families that's, involved in this like her friend who's involved in it she's american but her husband is from india and um even she is kind of like in the middle of her of her thoughts about all this stuff about politics and my friend was getting quite quite frustrated about it and i think like we were talking through it and she said you know i think that because they view somebody like her friend's husband who's a doctor here or Mm -hmm. somebody like me and you it's the it's a model minority. They look at people like us and they think that we are coming from impoverished places where there's no education and no <clears throat> hospitals. Yeah. Because that's their only understanding of where we come from. What what they don't realize is that most immigrant families that come to America especially legally mm-hmm. like through green cards, especially from South Asia and the Middle East, we're rich back home. Like yeah. we are very wealthy back home. Mm-hmm. The you know I I can talk about my immigrant experience like growing up here, and all that stuff. But like the biggest transition I think our parents had in their lives was when they like left Pakistan for Saudi. Like I don't yeah. think that it was when they came from Saudi Arabia to America because, like we went to Disney World twice as kids. Like exactly immigrant children. Like we were we were very well off. So I think what that does is the perception of like you know your middle Georgia rich white guy. What what they start to believe is that well somebody like these nice Indian doctors and these nice Indian engineers are coming from nothing and they're able to accomplish so much in America. So the American dream works. And that's why I need to put money into places in India because those people need our money because obviously once you come to America, you're fine. Everything is fine. And it's this like great disconnect. And I think unfortunately like model minorities like us, like Asians and South Asians specifically, we kind of contribute to the white, uh, the white like MAGA voters um, delusion that everything in America is equal for everyone and everyone can achieve everything. But like we are, we benefit so much from the work of black people in America by and and off the fact that we're coming from countries where we're not impoverished, like we we're considered middle to upper class where we come from so there's so there's obviously a lot there right i mean there's a lot of different things that are contributing um to somebody's mindset the one thing i would say to your friend is i understand her anxiety about it of like okay why you know these people are sending money overseas when they don't view people in this country the same way right and maybe it's like a savior thing or whatever you know, at the end of the day, the people that are receiving the money don't care if a person feels like a white savior, you know, as a result, like they're just grateful, you know, so we have to keep that in mind, right? So like, and I think that's important, because I think right now, 
our empathy as liberals and our sympathies are correctly with the right people, right? Like our empathy is with minorities. Our empathy is with people that are, you know, in the margins because that's who needs it right now. Yeah. Right? I think the way that this country is going to heal itself, and I'm optimistic that it's going to heal itself eventually, is that we're going to have to figure out, like we're going to have to have um, some sort of empathy or understanding about this person, right? Like this rich old person that is sending money to India. If you look at their voting record, you're like, this person is cruel. This person is telling me that women don't deserve health care. This woman, this person is telling me that the, you know, that the underserved don't deserve my help, right? So you're just mm -hmm. looking at that person as like a cruel person, but that's not the entire person, right? That person is capable of, of being, you know, being empathetic like that person is obvious and that's the thing right you have to you have and it's hard work because that's the way that you have to think about it like that's the only way that this country is going to resolve itself you can't just you can't just you know look at somebody uh somebody's profile and just be like oh you know what fuck this guy i'm writing this person off forever because that doesn't solve anything it makes me feel good in the moment but is that really going to solve anything it's not yeah. I mean, the thing is also like when we talk about writing people off, like my friend has no choice. She cannot mm -hmm. write these people off. These are people that exist in her life. They're her in-laws, her parents, her siblings, her cousins, her community members, her church, like pe people who attend a church. I mean, we talk about this all the time. We have so many friends who vote blue but have extremely problematic, bigoted views, right? Like I think yeah. the idea of, of writing people off, I think that like it goes along with like the idea of like, oh, but you're going to get canceled. Like nobody actually gets written off. Nobody actually gets canceled. And and like we, you know, you're talking about like millennials are assholes. I think this idea that like somebody could get canceled or written off is more of like a millennial and boomer angst than mm – -hmm a reality yep. of the situation like gen z doesn't actually give a shit right like gen z will cancel you but also uh, understands that you exist in the world and like we can't get rid of you like they're not going to kill you they can't yeah. they can vote you out right so um speaking of cancellation we do have to talk about <laughs> the dave Chappelle snl monologue that happened on saturday um okay. i have a lot of thoughts about it i'm gonna take a break and when we're back, we'll talk about that. And we're back. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Did you watch? Did you watch it? I watched the monologue. Yeah. Okay. What were you? I didn't watch the about? episode. Yeah, I didn't watch the episode either. I only watched the monologue. What were you thoughts? I about? thought. I thought the monologue. Well, should we kind of set the ground rules for where we stand on Dave Chappelle? Because you and oh, I yeah. differ on yeah. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was a huge Dave Chappelle fan. Loved him. Yeah. Loved him. Like, uh, is it Killing Them Softly? Watch that how many times, had it memorized. Like, yeah. I loved it so much. I love the Chappelle show, all that stuff. 2000s and 90s Chappelle was like, like just... It's it was like how I gauged if somebody was like worthy of my time. Like if I was dating mm -hmm. someone and they didn't know that, I was like, oh okay, I I don't even know if we're gonna have anything in common, right? So yeah. I was a big fan. Um, and then when he like fell off and then came back and did all these like Netflix specials, I have not watched any of them. Okay. Um, 
I've only I heard, important. huh? I think that? that's important. I think yeah. that's important. Okay. I have not watched any of them. I think I watched him on on SNL the last time he was on. I watched um, one of his specials that he did. Like it wasn't a special; it was just on online. I think it was like a video on YouTube of when he did that like open air sort of like middle of Ohio after George Floyd. After George Floyd, when he did that, that was yeah. great. I love that. That was really, really good. But I've not really watched any of his Netflix specials. I think my husband has, um, which I think like is probably why you will not be surprised by my feelings about his special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your feelings about Dave Chappelle? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> um, I would say for me, I mean, just my baseline thing is, I love Dave Chappelle mm. and I understand that that is a loaded comment at this point. Um, and I understand why it's a loaded comment also, right? Like I understand the reason why people are angry with him. Um, the same thing, right? So like when you go back and you think about like the important celebrities in your life, right? Like people that make you think, I mean, there's people that you're fans of, right? But like when I think about Dave Chappelle, he's a person that has made me think the most about race in America, in the most in like the most profound ways like and i'm like i'm a dummy right like i'm i'm stupid but like he's forced me to think about stuff that you know at first it makes you laugh because it's like oh this is the difference between you know different races or whatever but you know when you think about it more it makes me think about stuff that i had never thought about before right so like chris rock makes me laugh about race also but he doesn't do it in as profound a way as Dave Chappelle has made me. So like mm -hmm. that first special was incredible. And then Chappelle show, man, like you go, like you go back and you watch like the black Bush skit, right? It's, brilliant. it's brilliant. It's loaded. And when you think about where we were in the country in 2004, and then how like the, you know, at the time black Bush seems like an absurd notion because you're like a black person is never going to get, elected president in my lifetime. That's what I thought in 2004, yeah, right? Yeah. And then to see it actually happen in 2008, and then you go back and you watch it, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe that the country moved from here to here, and it makes me appreciate Black Bush even more. You know what I mean? Like, it makes me feel good about the country. So mm -hmm. that's, in general, how I feel about Dave Chappelle, right? Yeah. Um, what's happened over the last, I guess, five years, right, since this, since he became problematic, um, I guess. Like he's, you know, in, in, in pop culture right now, Dave Chappelle is a problematic person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like being a fan of Dave Chappelle, you're kind of saying something about yourself when you say that. If you're yeah. just like, oh, I'm just a fan of Dave Chappelle without anything else, like without um, giving your reasons or whatever, right? So that to me is, you know, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. And it's, a, it's you know, I think it is, wholly self-inflicted by him um, yes like i've watched i've watched all of the specials i watched basically everything that dave Chappelle does right and i remember watching the last special i don't remember exactly what you know what he said but i recall what my feelings were which was one i felt that he was trying to like explain himself right mm -hmm. he was trying to give the reasons for how he thinks about you know, whatever he says. And then the second thing that caught me off guard was like, there are certain things in that special that are like blatantly like transphobic comments that are not needed. 
right? Yes. It was almost like he was lashing out. Like, it's not, you don't need this to be funny. And like, Dave Chappelle is obviously way funnier than any of us could ever imagine it would be, right? So like, when I was watching it, I was like, this feels like he's trying to just say it for yes. the sake of saying it. Thank and, you. you know, in his twisted head, or not twisted head, but I'm sure in his head, he's kind of like, you know, this is freedom of speech. This is yeah. what I am allowed to do. This is my right as a comic to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So I wish, while I personally wish that he wouldn't have made those comments because it would have been easier for me, um, Dave Chappelle is the one person in my life that, you know, that I followed as a comedian or whatever. He's the one person who has earned the right to have his space to figure shit out for himself. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, th like this doesn't apply to like Joe Rogan or like Ben Shapiro or any of those other assholes that are just like, you know, that say shit for shock value. Like Dave Chappelle is the one person who, you know, when he has the spotlight on him, I actually feel like he is sincere in taking that responsibility. Like he's like, okay, I have the spotlight. People are listening to me. Let me at least do the work and let me try to make this work. Right. And then he does something like, you know, he makes transphobic comments. And then you're like, oh, fuck, this sucks. This sucks. Why are you doing this, Dave? Like, don't do this to me. Like, you are worthy of it all, right? But I think overall, in general, if you're looking for somebody to be, like, the champion of free speech, that's the person for me in my life. Because that's the, that, that's the person that's made me think the most in my life. And I'm well, just I, like, yeah. very good. So I think I think those are great points. I think that if we were talking about like especially in context of like free speech and talking about like the the SNL monologue, right? So yeah. there were parts of the SNL monologue where I was like, "This is so good," and then I was like, "Why did you have to say that?" Right? Like yep. there are there like everything he's saying about um, like there, it's interesting you're talking about like this is somebody who is saying things to say them, right? He has this bit in the SNL monologue about how. Um, you know, Trump, people love Trump because he's an honest liar, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting because he says something like, you know, Trump was the first person to stand up there and say, these are all the, the there's a bunch of like shit going on. There's corruption in the house. And I'm going to go mm -hmm. inside of that house and I'm going to play their game. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because he's kind of doing the same thing with his comedy because mm -hmm. he is saying there is, there are people who are going to be mad because the things that people are saying are problematic, I'm going to say those things also because I have a platform and I can say them, even yeah. though I know that those things are crazy. And I think that while people with like critical thinking can understand the point that's being made here, the problem is that a lot of the world and a lot of the way that information and content is consumed these days is yeah. devoid of critical thinking. Yeah. It is it, it and and there's a lot of people like that that will see something like sh what Chappelle says and say, see, even Chappelle thinks it right. Like so, yeah. he made all these jokes in the monologue that were essentially saying, like, you know, he said he was talking about Kanye, he's talking about Kyrie, and he's talking about anti-Semitism, and he starts it off by saying, you know, I uh, I denounce anti-Semitism. And he says, and this is how you buy time. And then he goes on about Kanye. And he's like, you know, even I was like, I'm not going to support him. And then he's yeah. like, he talks about how there's a lot of Jews in Hollywood and how people can think that even if it's a crazy thing to think. Yeah. 
And so he's saying these things and it's sort of like you're saying something, but you're not saying something, but yeah. you're, but when you do that, what happens is that you actually end up amplifying the thoughts in bigots who believe in those conspiracy theories, yes. even if you don't think those things. So exactly. when it comes yeah. to like, when you're making a joke at the expense of marginalized people and couching it with this thought of we all think it we just don't say it but then you're actually fucking saying it you're normalizing the concept of saying problematic things that are hurtful to marginalized people and what that does is it discredits the legitimacy of marginalized people and their fears and it yep. amplifies the voices of bigots because they get a pass and say well if Chappelle can say it then I can say those things too I can repeat those things too. And you can say, oh, it's just a joke. But it's not a joke because there, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Tr yeah. The violence against trans women, trans black women, trans people is on a rise. So yeah. it, it, that is where it becomes a problem. And while I don't think that comedians are responsible for, just like I don't think that Kanye West is responsible for anti-Semitism, I don't believe that Chappelle is, is responsible for anti-Semitism. I don't believe those things because white yeah. people are responsible for anti-Semitism. We know that. Like he even makes a point of that, right? It's not black people that are the reason for it. But, yeah. you know, there is there. It, we do live in a white supremacist. It, it's like multiple things are true. We live in a white supremacist world where a black person is going to get punished for the same crimes of a white person happens all the time a black yeah. person or a person of color will be made the poster child of this great these great crimes that were actually created and pushed by white people the problem yeah. is that when people of color when people of color share conspiracy theories or share these thoughts even if, if they're doing it as a joke what that does is it spreads those things within communities of minorities. It normalizes batshit crazy anti-Semitic rhetoric. It normalizes the idea of like of like transphobic ideology, yeah. right? Like it normalizes those things. And to me, that is problematic. But again, I don't think that nobody's like people with critical thinking are not going to look at Chappelle as the person who has the answers for anti-Semitism or transphobia or anything. They're going to think of him as he is a comedian who should know better. I think what's difficult is that we had somebody like Trump become president and it suddenly made anybody who has a platform anybody who has a microphone and made their voices seem, it gives legitimacy to their voices. It gives people somebody to look at and say well if this rich person thinks these things then i guess it's okay if i think those things too and i think that's where for me it becomes a problem because the only people whose feelings i ever care about are marginalized people that are actually affected by the stuff that is if, like if you are offended the least i can do is say i'm sorry that sucks and your feelings are valid yeah so no, i, I get that. Just, yeah yeah so you know i uh, See, it's it's. Oh, also, I, wait, one more thought, one more thought on him. I think what's also fucking annoying is that he also said in the monologue, like, "We're too scared. We, I shouldn't be so scared to talk to you. You're not fucking scared. You're not scared. You're not getting canceled." Since he's been making like more and more problematic thoughts, he's had more Netflix specials than before. So, like, no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't wait. So, to, to talk about my feelings or say what I'm thinking 
is crazy. If you're scared to say what you want to say, then maybe you should consider why you're scared and why it's a problem. And then maybe think about not saying those things and not being the end of the fucking world. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, when you say, well, he's making money, so he's not actually canceled. Right. That's your that's your underlying point. Like, oh, he's not actually scared because obviously he's going to make money and he's going to be OK. Right. I think somebody in Dave Chappelle's uh, of his stature. Right. I think he I don't think that he looks at himself as simply a comedian that is going out there to make money. He's well past that point. Like he I think. And this is something that he's kind of earned, uh, you know, by just being the person that he is for the last 20 years as somebody who is who adds who adds something to the to the to the conversation right that's the person that i think he looks at at himself as right i remember john stewart at one point was like you know who do you think my who do you think my ultimate like goal is right it's not a comedian really like he these people are looking at themselves as like mark twain you know what yeah. i mean somebody mm-hmm. that uses humor to talk about very serious things. So sure. like, you know, when you, when, when Dave Chappelle says that I should not be scared to talk to you about this is that I think what he's saying is I want to still be looked at as a valid person that is adding to the conversation. Right. And you can say, well, the just be, because you said the things that you said about trans people, because of the things that you said about, um, about Jewish people in this monologue, I am done with you forever. Right. But I think that's basically what his fear is. I do think that, you know, the other point that you made about like what, you know, when, you know, when you are, you know, when if you because of the way that he talks about, you know, he makes these jokes, it amplifies the voices of, you know, of actual bigots. Right. And they say, oh, because Dave Chappelle can do it, I can do it also. Right. And I understand that there is a responsibility that comes with that. And it's actually interesting that we're talking about Dave Chappelle because Dave Chappelle quit his show because he realized that. Like, if you remember why he quit yeah, his show, yeah, he yeah. said that, you know, he saw a stagehand laughing at uh, at a skit and he didn't like the laugh because he's like, it was clear to me that that guy was laughing at the wrong thing. He was laughing at the caricature that I'm making of black people. Like he was that that's the reason why I quit the show. Yeah. Right. So if there's somebody who I think understands that responsibility and can maybe figure out how to use that, it's Dave Chappelle because he's shown like he's shown that he is capable of walking away from that. Um, and then when it comes to actual bigots, right? So like I have these conversations with my terrible friends that you don't like. <laughs> um, but you know, but you know, when they when they share like just objectively racist shit to me, right? And they're just like, no, it's funny. And then they're like, oh, you know, like Dave Chappelle does it. Like Dave Chappelle talks about the differences between black and white. I'm like, motherfucker, you're not Dave Chappelle. Like this is like he is a professional comedian who has thought this shit through for the last 40 years. Like we're not on even, you know, it's not on on, on even footing, right? Like you have a responsibility as a person in this world to take in information and to figure it out. And if you're not doing that, then the onus is on you. I understand that the responsibility of the entertainer is to kind of limit themselves and understand the effect that they're having or whatever. But ultimately, if a person is being a racist sack of shit, they are a racist sack of shit because they don't want to take the time to think about another person's experience, right? That's not the entertainer's, you know, 
at the end of the day, that's not the entertainer's responsibility. It's on the person themselves. I get it. But like, you can't say that you want to grow up to be like a voice that matters, like a vo- mm-hmm. you want to be remembered like a Mark Twain, but then also say extremely problematic things. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that I'm more than a comedian, but also remember I am a comedian. Like, yeah. you know, I used to, like, I love, I love Jon Stewart, but I remember there was this thing where he was getting frustrated with people. Like, I don't know what the argument was. It, I think it was, it was on Fox News. I don't know what it was, but it was, mm-hmm. he was t- talking about how nobody should take uh, Comedy Central seriously because it, you know, or uh, The Daily Show seriously because he's on, they're on after Crank Yankers, a show about <laughs> puppets making prank calls, right? But yeah. I, but the thing is, you can't have that both ways, right? We, we are now like, it, it's not like when, it's not like it was 30 years ago where the news was news and you had some television shows and you had some sitcoms, like where there was like, you know, 15 shows max that you could ever really watch on television. It's not like that anymore. There is so much content and there's so much information to take in that I do think that entertainers, especially somebody like Chappelle who wants to be remembered as somebody who has these profound thoughts and ideas about racism and has had some brilliant, like brilliant, uh, you know, like shows and all this stuff like the things that he's done are really smart you can't be somebody who does both you you have to and then you can't say oh now i'm too scared and i'm gonna you know we can't be too scared to have these conversations it's fine you want to have these conversations but you can't have those conversations while also parroting conspiracy theories that's true. In the middle of your jokes. That was a problem. Like some of the stuff he was doing was great, but then there was a lot of stuff he was doing where at the end, at the he ended it by saying, you know, uh, I don't want them to get mad, whoever they are. Or I don't want to get like, yeah. it's like you're adding to it. You're, And I get that he was, again, as a critical person, I understand that it's a joke, but for people who are actually fearful of their lives, like yeah. it, it's not, it it makes sense that they would continue to be offended and people should be allowed to be offended without yeah. everybody being like, Oh, what are you going to do? Cancel them? Nobody, nobody's getting canceled. Let's just, let's just also agree to that. No one gets canceled anymore. There's no such thing as cancellation. There's no such thing as cancel culture. People are just asked to be held accountable for the shit they do and asked to note the fact that like, there are going to be people who take your information, take your jokes, and are going to be offended by it. And you need to sit with that and accept that those people are going to be offended by it. You can't call them snowflakes. You can't tell them that their feelings are invalid. They're mm-hmm. valid. You're, you have to be held accountable for the people that you hurt if you care to be held accountable. But then you can't yeah. sit around and say, I'm getting canceled because you're not actually getting canceled. There's no no such fucking thing as being canceled. Nobody's yeah, ever been canceled. The- I think the thing about cancellations is I think what we figured out now is it really depends on the person that's receiving the information. Like, yes. like so it, it actually depends on the viewer, right? So like obviously, you know, we've been talking now about Dave for I think like twenty five minutes, right? Um, we both have very strong feelings about Dave Chappelle. I think we both agree that um, you know, we wish that he would handle his persona in a more responsible way that he would, you know, kind of actually, you know, that he wouldn't go for like unnecessary, you know, comments about uh, trans people and Jewish people because it doesn't actually help. Like, you know, it's, it's a bad thing that happened. Right. Yeah. But I think 
for both of us, at least, you know, if, if somebody was to like, look at us, they, you know, someone may say, oh, you know, she wants to cancel Dave Chappelle. Like in her heart, Dave Chappelle is a person that does not need to occupy this space for her anymore because he's done too much shit. Right. I'm obviously on the other side. Right. I think like, oh, you know what? Dave Chappelle is worth my time. Right. At the same time, I think we're both on the same page with Louis C.K., right? Louis C.K., for both of us, can fuck right off, right? right. He's never ever... And Louis C.K., it seems like, because he's been around. He's been really, really visible. He's back. And that motherfucker, I don't... You know, I haven't... You know, like, I get things suggested to me, but, like, Louis, you know, hasn't talked about the actual fucking thing. All I see is him talking about his experience of being canceled but never actually talk about, hey, I'm a motherfucker who did this fucked up shit and I need to, you know, I need to, this is whatever, right? So Louis C.K. for me and you is forever gone, right? Yeah, like like, so. like Aziz Ansari has done more with his pseudo cancellation and yeah. to address what happened with him than yeah. Louis C.K. did. And yeah. if when I compare, like, I don't want to compare the level of trauma that the other person may have experienced, but it's, you know, it, 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 we're talking about apples to oranges. Also, like, if you're an idiot who really thinks this, like, stupid-ass conspiracy, I just want to say this. If you're an asshole who really believes the conspiracy theory that Hollywood is controlled by the Jews, then tell me why Mel Gibson is making movies like there's no like you're not like it's not use your fucking brain it's not yeah. like that like it's just so it's so and maybe i feel this way especially because like we live in new york new jersey area like where we've been like we grew up around jewish people and we're very much like understanding of jewish culture and like jewish people yeah. and we actually recognize that actually there's very few jewish people and there yes. it's understandable that they would feel uh nervous <laughs> about how they're going to be treated, especially like in New York where you have this great Jewish population, but there's attacks against, there's anti-Semitic attacks against Jewish people all the time in New yeah. York City. So like, I just, I just. And I think, I think also part of it is, you know, we come, our background, I think right now, uh, my experience of interacting with Jewish people is 95 on right? 1995 on after we yeah. moved to America. Yeah. I also recall, and I, and you know, you still see it, right? Like I know white supremacy is um, kind of like the leading cause of anti-Semitism, yeah. but you know, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in our culture. Every culture. A lot. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's, it's the lowest, like, it's the low hanging fruit. It's uh, exactly, you know, it's Jews and black and, people. Everybody is, right. you know, like if you could, it's like the lowest hanging fruit. It really is. Exactly. Jews, and, black people, gay people. Like that's it. And and, and yeah, any organ and, any culture is gonna either make fun of it or have a racist mm -hmm. thought about it or like a bigoted thought about those people. And it fucking sucks. It, women it, also. <laughs> I like how you always throw women in there. That's some nonsense. <laughs> like, you're not the woman, first of all. You have a pretty nice life. Like actual women. You know, like act, there's actually women that need my support. You don't get my support. Well, what's your? Also, can I just we say one? We started this. We started this episode off with you describing your 15 minute breakfast preparation. 
As I, as I work from home, I'm getting paid right now for recording this podcast during work hours. No, also, can I just say one more thing? I think when we talk about anti-Semitism by the hands of black people, I think what we do is we remove black Jews from the conversation because they also yeah, exist. Man. And like it's insane that they just kind of get like washed over that you have to pick yeah. one or the other. So, um, here we go. Can we end this episode with? Um, the horrific uh, gossip I've been trying to share with you, dating. Yeah, this, this episode has been. I think this episode. I mean, it's been fun, but I think it's a little too serious. I'm, I'm hoping you bring some nonsense. I don't know if it's nonsense, but I would okay. Love to. All right, I'm, I'm excited. excited to put your feet to the fire. Okay, so you've been on record talking about old dudes dating young girls. You have no problem with. Yeah, that. buddy. You don't yeah, mind buddy. it. Disgusting. Well, hold, hold, on, until... hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm on record. <laughs> Of saying anybody of legal age <laughs> should marry or should hang out, should bone whatever anybody of any other age. It's How not just old dudes and sense, young yeah. women. I'm saying old women and young dudes. I'm saying old women and young women. I'm saying old dudes and young dudes. Any anywhere <laughs> consenting adults. Yes, let's clarify that. Okay, yeah, please. Okay. okay, you're familiar with John Mayer, yeah? Don't do any googling. You're familiar with John I, Mayer, yeah? <laughs> Hands up in the air. Yes, I'm okay. familiar with John Jonathan Mayer. John Mayer. I have a beloved, lot of thoughts on John Mayer. Beloved in the the 2000s, a sweetheart. I spent so much time in love with that man. Uh, over the years, some very problematic words have things have you know, happened with John Mayer. I'm, I'm, I know, I, I know, we're already running late, but John Mayer has a Kristen Cole fall from fall from grace for me. Like, yeah, that's John Mayer point. from 2000 to like 2007. Great celebrity. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that music. I don't care how corny it was. I yeah. loved all of that music. He was just fun. He was funny. You see, oh, okay, you know what? Nerdy guy is out there um, taking advantage of his uh, of his fame and dating all these hot women. Good for him. And then that motherfucker just screwed it all up. And now I'm excited to see what, you, what you're going to tell me. Okay. All right. You love Mad Men, yeah? I do. Do you know who John Mayer has been spotted dating, real? No. Uh, are you familiar no. with oh, Jim no, no, Shipka? No, 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 no. That's right. Little Sally. Oh, no, Johnny. Little Sally Draper. Kiernan Shipka has been seen out on dates with John Mayer. <clears throat> that is... Um... She's 23. Okay. But still, very alarming. I'm alarmed no. by it. I am alarmed by it when I hear it. I don't like that. I don't hear. I like. I don't like hearing that because to me, she will be, always be Sally Draper. Which is, mm -hmm. but the thing is, like a person is a person. Obviously, ages right. Like if I, if I just heard John Mayer was dating a twenty three year old, I wouldn't be as revolted because like I don't have the image of that twenty three year old in my head as like a as a ten year old. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But like obviously that it. it I'm I'm uncomfortable by it, mm -hmm. but um, you know I have to stick to my morals on this, unfortunately, <laughs> and I have to say, like, okay, it's if they're both consenting adults, who am I to say otherwise? What yeah. are your feelings on it? Well, John Mayer in his twenties, in his twenties, yeah. dated Jennifer Aniston, mm -hmm. right? And now little Kiernan Chipka in her twenties is dating John Mayer. Yeah. And you know what? And once you remove everything else from it, God bless. I say God bless. 
as long as bless it. I don't God bless it. I got uncomfortable. Uh, I have uh, I have some counter. I'm gonna put your feet to the fire. And I honestly, I thought that this is what you're gonna you're gonna do. Oh, to me. you you have some celebrity gossip news. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it. Yeah, I, was, I thought this is what we're gonna talk about. I'm actually excited. Okay. <clears throat> your guy. Who's your favorite, Chris? Pine. No. Oh, Evans. I know. I saw that too. Forty-one and twenty-five. Forty-one and twenty-five. Well, it's better than forty-five and twenty-three with John Mayer. It doesn't. It doesn't. No, it's the exact same fucking thing. It's not better. They're both the same. It's just so infuriating. Let me ask you a question. No, no, you're not to ask me any more questions. But listen, here's my thing. As a as a woman, woman, I. I am I am constantly thinking about how little I understood about myself, about uh, my own voice, uh, about how to advocate for myself in in intimate or personal or career or like life situations. And yeah. I, there's a lot of shit that came up for me in my 30s, like in my late 30s in therapy about like, wow, all those terrible things happen. And I think I kind of let it happen because I yeah. didn't know that I could not. Right. And so what I hope for is that women that are now in their 20s have more uh, have have the ability to advocate for themselves, that have the ability to speak up for themselves and Perhaps the woman in her 20s is not the same woman that existed in her 20s 15 years ago when I was in my 20s. And okay. maybe that woman in her 20s has a better voice and the ability to speak up in situations with older men than yes. perhaps I did. Because like I said in the beginning of this episode, the youth are very different than the youth were when <laughs> I was a youth. So who am I to judge how youth should be youthing if they want to? Spend their youth with older men or older women, then, and everybody's a consenting adult, then that's fine by me. But it gives me the ick. Sorry. So, so question, right? So, I guess your central point in the age difference thing is that you are not smart as a person in your 20s because this is your what your experience was you're not smart enough to handle a relationship with an older person i don't think it's it's not about smarts i think it's about confidence and about um i'm not i wouldn't say smart it has nothing to do with your intelligence i think it has to do with your confidence in yourself and security in yourself as a person with a voice to feel like they can speak up in certain situations. I think that there's a power dynamic that is uh, really evident um, when you are at that age with an older person. So I think that that's the stuff that I think about. And maybe maybe but, that's just but, me projecting my own feelings about these people and the relationships that they're having because I'm coming from my perspective of what I thought in my 20s. Like I said, perhaps they are better than I. I'm gonna say I'm gonna. Well, I'm hoping they're better than you because <laughs> I'm not married, man. I got I gotta put some feelers out there. Um, no, so because you're you you know when whenever we talk about it, right? You are talking like we usually talk about young women with older guys. I don't think. Do you view it the same on the opposite end? Like you know, dudes in their twenties also have confidence yes. issues that they yes. need to figure it out. So you just yes. see any age difference. 
I think that it's, it's a problem. I don't think that it's. I think under twenty is especially a problem. Well, under twenty, it's off. That's it. I'm not talking. I'm not. I'm not. An animal. Like, come on. I'm saying like under even under like twenty one makes me very uncomfortable. Like it just extremely like uncomfortable. I'm it saying twenty five. Me- For me, I think it's twenty five and older. You're renting a car. You could date whoever you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the thing is, I understand what you mean about like having self-confidence in your 20s versus your 30s. But because I always thought that you meant that, you know, you're not smart enough in your early 20s, right? No. And I and, and when I think about myself in my early 20s, I was a, an extreme that. moron, right? Just <laughs> just a, like like the like the dumbest motherfucker in the world, right? But then like it's not like I've turned into a nuclear scientist at 39 <laughs> either. I'm pretty fucking like I think your level of moron doesn't change. And like I've met people in their 50s it's not like it's gonna get better. It's gonna get worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you, <laughs> it's not about intelligence for sure. It's yeah. more about just you know your your uh your ability to feel confident in in the shit that you allow in your relationship. There's a mm-hmm. lot of shit that you allow in relationships when you are in your twenties that will when you grow up you're like, oh my god, that was abuse. Or, oh, my God, that was, you know, uh, extremely problematic. Or, oh, my God, that was traumatic. Like, those are the things that I and it's and some people grow up and they handle it just fine. And they recognize that that was just a bad choice they made at that time. But I think that when you are an older person and you are dating somebody younger, you should be aware of that. You should be aware of the fact that you are with somebody who you might need to where you might need to navigate certain situations with a lot more care and a lot more attention because they might not feel like they are confident enough to voice their opinions about certain things or. I I think uh, ultimately for, for an older person, right? Like when I think the unsaid thing that I think we're both kind of getting at is like for the older person, a younger person, like the, the obvious attraction is what it is right and it's if you think about it like just between like in black and white that it's kind of gross right because we're talking about sex we're talking about like you know physical um you know like a physical interaction um and you get why somebody who's like an older person views somebody who's younger as like you know uh, as something to go after and when you think about it in those terms, it's gross that that's what we're looking at because it is gross. Right. So, you know, obviously that is a part of intimacy. Like the physical interaction is a part of intimacy. And I think the onus is on the older person to understand that, Hey, it's not just this physical act that you are partaking in with this younger person. It has deeper psychological effects that you have to be fucking sure of before you engage with that with a younger person on that level because it has long lasting effects right and i think that's yeah. as long as somebody is mindful of that you know i think it's okay but like we don't see we don't see like famous older people with when we see famous older people with like younger people like when we see famous older men with younger women because of like the frequency of it, right? Like Leonardo DiCaprio, the reason why I think it makes an impact on women is because like the like the frequency with which he apparently goes through these women 
you're just like, well, obviously he doesn't, you know, there's all, there's only been like a physical um, transition here yeah. or transaction here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't, you know, like, how do you, so that's the reason why people get freaked out and I get it, but yeah. you know, at the same yeah, time, like, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, <laughs> I, had a, I have a lot of faith in Chris Evans uh, as one of my favorite Chris's. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the fact that Chris Evans is People Magazine sexiest man alive. We could just my one thought about it. My one thought about it is I love him. Okay, mm-hmm. especially when he whips out his Boston Whoa. accent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were worried about what I was gonna say. Yeah. Um, I think he's so hot, but I think it should have been Pine because um, he was spat on by Harry. So because <laughs> he had to live through the don't worry, darling stuff, I think it should have been Chris Pine. Because Evan doesn't even have a movie or anything coming out. Like, I don't know. Well, so do you actually put any weight into that People magazine? No, I mean, Blake Shelton was one. Blake Shelton, like, Adam Levine, get out of my face. Who's well, First of all, who's purchasing People magazines? That's true. I was at the not grocery me. store yesterday. Not me. The I was at the grocery store yesterday, and there was in like the rack of like magazines at the checkout line. There was a little. It was a One Direction magazine. One Direction <laughs> next to a People magazine. So like this is how old magazine. Nobody's buying magazines anymore. Yeah. People magazine. Don't be ridiculous. Unless like you're getting yeah. paid money or something for it. I'm not sure what the purpose of. These no, I think it, it's I think at this point, it's just like it's obviously like a PR thing. Right? It's silly. It's like, oh, you know, you've been around in the. All right. It's your turn now. Hey, who yeah. was it last year? Like Paul Rudd? All right. OK, sure. Okay, I love that Paul guy, Rudd. He deserves it. Is he the sexiest man alive? <laughs> is he Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson is the sexiest man alive. Have you seen him play quarterback? <laughs> No, Paul Red is like the, he's like the evergreenest man alive. I agree. I love Paul Red. He's the sexiest man alive. Come on. Come on. I mean, I let it. I let it happen. <laughs> anyway, um, that's it for this episode. Uh, I'll be back. That was on, a long one. Yeah. I'll be back on Wednesday to talk to Arthi about Real Housewives of Potomac and Real Housewives of, oh, uh, and Family Karma. And uh, if you haven't yet, please go over to Dumpster Dive, where I talked to Tom Hamlet about Love is Blind. And uh, Raheel and I will be back on Thursday to talk about The Crown. The Crown. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.